Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening. Welcome to today's joint program of the Commonwealth Club and World Affairs in Northern California. I'm Jim Moore, trustee at World Affairs and your chair for today's program. World Affairs convenes thought leaders, change makers, and engaged citizens to share ideas, learn from each other, and affect change. We're delighted to partner with the Commonwealth Club for this event. The mission of the Commonwealth Club of California is to be the leading national forum for the discussion of public issues important to the membership, community, and the nation. We're also pleased that moderating today's question period will be Dwayne Silverstein, Executive Director of, of Psychology. It's now my pleasure to introduce today's speaker, His Excellency Prime Minister Puna of the Cook Islands. The Cook Islands is a beautiful 15-island nation in the South Pacific with political links to New Zealand. The islands were first settled approximately 1,500 years ago by Polynesian people who are thought to have migrated over 800 miles via canoe from the area around Tahiti. Like many places in the world, the Cook Islands is striving to balance economic pressures with protecting their environment and their way of life. Prime Minister Puna assumed office in 2010 and previously served as Secretary of the Ministry of Tourism and Transport. In 2017, Prime Minister Puna, with a handful of other forward-thinking people, including Kevin in the front row here, led the establishment of the world's largest marine protected area, which is roughly 2 million square kilometers. The marine reserve called Mare Moana is hailed as a major step forward for marine conservation and a potential model for the rest of the world. Additionally, on January 1st, the Cook Islands will become the first South Pacific island nation to officially achieve developed nation status. It was under Prime Minister Puna's premiership that the Cook Islands became, in November 2011, a founding member of the Polynesian Leaders Group, a regional grouping intended to cooperate on a variety of issues, including culture, language, education, responses to climate change, and trade and investment. I should also note that the Prime Minister has really pushed for sustainable energy in his nation. The nation is now at 85% renewable energy, and they, uh, they hope to be at 100% in the next couple of years. The Honorable Puna grew up in Etuteki. He was educated in Etuteki and Rarotonga before studying law at the University of Auckland in New Zealand and the University of Tasmania in Australia. He worked as an attorney before entering politics. The Honorable Puna was elected as Member of Parliament for Monahiki during the 2010 election, in which his party won 16 of the 24 seats. On the 30th of November 2010, he was sworn in as Prime Minister of the Cook Islands. Please now welcome His Excellency, Prime Minister Puna. Thank you, Jim. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so proud to bring you warm tropical greetings (laughs) from the Cook Islands, from our people and our government. It is a real honor and very humbling to be here at the Commonwealth Club tonight and to be sharing some interesting stories with you guys. I heard Jim say a little bit about the Cook Islands. I was going to start with that, and I will. You see, we've been here four days. And every time people ask us, me and my two colleagues here, where are we from? And we tell them, oh, we're from the Cook Islands. 
we're always met with another question. Where's that? So in order to save myself from having to answer that same question a hundred times tonight, I thought I'd just expand on what Jim has told you about my little country. You may not be aware, but the Cook Islands comprises of 15 small islands spread over nearly 2 million square kilometers of the Pacific Ocean. For those of you who are keen on figures, it is located between the latitudes of 8 and 24 degrees south and longitudes 157 and 166 degrees west, which is about one half of the way from Hawaii to New Zealand. The islands are divided geographically into a northern and southern group of islands. Low coral atolls describe the seven northern group of islands. The remaining southern group are a mix of raised coral atoll or sand cay, while the only volcanic island is the main island of Rarotonga. By the way, the Cook Islands has had a long history of association with the United States. During the Second World War, there were two military bases established in the Cook Islands, one in Aitutaki and one in Penryn, our northernmost island. But thank God the Japanese never got that far. The total land mass of the country is a mere 236 square kilometres, with the largest island, Rarotonga, being just under 70 square kilometres. In terms of our constitutional status, my country has one of the most unique constitutional status in the world. We are characterized as self-governing in free association with New Zealand. This special relationship we enjoy is enshrined in our constitution. Like you, our constitution embodies the principles of our self-governing democracy and captures our spirituality as a Christian nation. Our constitution provides us the scope for statehood as a member of the realm of New Zealand, a capacity to evolve and aspire under free association. Ladies and gentlemen, free association is a qualification that brings a certain value to our capacity as a state. The condition of free status adds to our abilities and we've demonstrated that over and over again through the past 54 years. Today, we are pleased to have established bilateral diplomatic relations with 54 countries plus the European Union. We've also achieved membership of over 60 regional and multilateral organizations and are party to numerous global conventions. But we are yet to establish bilateral diplomatic relations with the United States. However, despite that, we do cooperate on a number of shared interests, particularly relating to issues of security of maritime space. In terms of culture, our people are Polynesian. Descendants of seafarers who utilize their innate knowledge of the stars, the ocean currents, and nature to settle the islands that we now call home. Like them, 
the generations of our people that have followed have mirrored the tenacity of our ancestors in building a nation that we can be proud of today and God willing for generations to come. While others may be prepared to place limitations on us, I do not accept that we should impose these limitations on ourselves. If anything, the past 54 years of our journey as a nation have shown that our possibilities and our potential can be endless. In terms of economy, the Cook Islands economy is heavily dependent on natural resources for economic activities. Once dominantly agriculture-based up until the 1970s, the economy has shifted to a service-driven one, where tourism accounts for approximately 80% of our GDP. The opening of the Rarotonga International Airport in 1974 was the catalyst for tourism, as well as greater propensity for our people to migrate to New Zealand and later to Australia. But we have learned some valuable lessons on our journey. In 1996, for example, when the Cook Islands experienced an economic collapse caused by unsustainable debt levels and a burgeoning public service wage bill. However, through prudent, prudent public financial management, strong development policies, and most importantly, steadfast political leadership, our economy has recovered and recovered exceptionally well. The setbacks we have endured have given us no regrets. In fact, they are an important part of our journey. In many ways, these have helped shape who we are as a people and how we hold up as a nation. They may have contributed to our evolving maturity, the ability to accept failure, but also the ability to get up, to stand up, and to grow. The Cook Islands economy has continued the strong run of real economic growth over the past decade, averaging 4.4% per year over the period 2011-12 to 2017-18, thanks to unprecedented tourism arrivals and higher levels of public and private capital investment. By the way, America has contributed greatly to that growth. There is a travel magazine here in Pennsylvania called the Global Traveler that really caters for frequent business and luxury travelers. It is published monthly and they award, they give out awards annually to destinations and to companies. I'm proud to say that the Cook Islands has been voted by Americans who travel to the Cook Islands as the best tourism rim, tourist rim uh, destination in the Pacific. Ahead of Bora Bora, would you believe? <laughs> and Bali. So thank you, America. <laughs> in 2017-18, real GDP growth of 8.9% was recorded, rising from 460 million 
to 504.5 million. Over the last three years, tourist arrivals have risen by an average of nearly 11% per year, from 121,000 in 2014-15 to 165,000 in 2017-18. More recent data shows the strong growth in tourist arrivals tailing off to more realistic levels. For example, the tourism market only saw growth of 3% in the year to March 2019, with visitor arrivals rising from 160,000 to 167,000 over this period. The good news. Our strong economic performance has meant that we have, as of New Year's Day 2020, just seven days ago, graduated from developing to developed country status under the OECD Official Development Assistance Eligibility List. We're extremely proud of this achievement and take this as a testament to strong leadership and steady economic growth. But we know that this milestone in our journey of nationhood will come with challenges. We've already begun discussing with our international partners what our relationship should look like post-graduation. Some of our partners have signified that aid and other types of assistance will cease upon our graduation. While this was expected, and while we welcome the opportunity to shift away from donor-recipient relationships to genuine partnerships premised on mutual understanding, the reality of the OECD criteria is that vulnerability to the impacts of climate change and natural disasters is not a factor that is taken into consideration when assessing a country's development status. As if to emphasize this truth, we were given a timely reminder of this when we were sideswiped by Cyclone Sairi on our birthday seven days ago as it were, after it had wrought some earlier damage in Fiji and in Tonga. Thank God somebody upstairs heard our prayers. Therefore, the recent discourse on enhanced engagement with Pacific Island countries is increasingly important to my country. Recent publicly launched policies, such as New Zealand's Pacific Reset, Australia's Pacific Step-Up, the UK's Pacific Uplift bring with them funding that is often targeted at building resilience in the region. The Cook Islands is a private sector-led economy with a GDP that is reliant largely on tourism. For me, tourism is by definition an industry vulnerable to shocks to our resilience. I'll need to knock on wood after this address but this means that should a natural disaster occur in my country, our developed country status would find it very difficult to recover. The United States' own recent commitment on partnership with the Pacific Islands to tackle global and regional challenges, including promoting regional security and stability, advancing sustainable growth, addressing environmental challenges, responding to natural disasters 
and strengthening our people-to-people ties, I surmise, is underpinned by the intention to build resilience in the region. The Cook Islands has taken a proactive approach to strengthen our partnership with New Zealand and Australia in the context of the Pacific Reset and the Pacific Step Up. And I'm extremely keen to engage with the UK and with the United States on formal recognition of our constitutional status and as partners in solidarity with our common policy objective of building resilience. In the case of the US, we reignited the discussion of partnership between the Cook Islands and the US during the visit by the then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton to Rarotonga in 2012 in the margins of the Pacific Leaders Forum hosted by the Cook Islands. We've had some progress since that conversation with shiprider agreements with the U.S. Coast Guard in Hawaii and capacity building initiatives, but there is so much more that we can collaborate on. For my country, without a doubt, climate change, resilience, economic status, and genuine partnerships are inextricably tied. Climate finance, for instance, should not be tied to ODA criteria. It should be recognized that development in one key area does not equate to resilience. And countries should be cautious of debasing their public commitments to enhance engagement in the region when their own domestic and foreign policies, as well as their stance on aid, often say otherwise. Going forward, we certainly understand the importance of genuine partnerships in building our past, and this should ensure that we have an improved ability to navigate our journey into the future. I believe that my country has never been in a place than where it is today. Not only have we punched above our weight economically, but our education and health services are amongst the best in the Pacific region today. When assuming office in 2010, I was determined that our development destination should be a clean and green nation. I was so happy when I saw in the rubbish bins at Berkeley University the other day the inscription, keep our university clean and green. I don't know who borrowed the saying, (laughs) but I can certainly attest that we have tried very hard to balance the three dimensions of sustainable development, social, economic, and environmental, from integration to implementation. I believe that balance is not a contemporary concept or principle. Rather, it has always been in our DNA. Ingrained within us is the understanding that we are but custodians of our environment, that we are, that, and when we anticipate or prepare for the future, we need to reinstill our sense of balance. The Cook Islands has been defined primarily as small land masses separate from the immense ocean that surrounds us as small island developing states, or SIDS, to use a United Nations term. 
While my country fully supports the need for international recognition to be given to the special needs and vulnerabilities of SIDS, we also think that it is more important now to recognize and to emphasize the interrelationship between our islands and the large ocean realm in which we live. Without a more appropriate balance with the ocean, the small island image does not serve us fully in terms of either addressing our development challenges or highlighting our potential. Nor is this separation of the land from the surrounding ocean how our ancestors perceived their world. It is not how they delimited their domains of influence. It does not portray the marine realm at all or the connection between our people and the entirety of our environment. Our islands are an integral part of our ocean of opportunity and value. More than ever before, we're well positioned to harness oceanic opportunities by capitalizing on our islandness and our intimate relationship with our surrounding ocean and to show the world how this can be done in a sustainable and Cook Islands way. My country has made a strong commitment to transforming our energy supply from carbon-based to renewable sources. In 2015, we completed the transformation of electricity supply in the Northern Islands from diesel to solar, roughly 50% of our total energy needs. In the South, of the six inhabited islands, we have already converted four completely to solar. The two remaining islands, Rarotonga and Aitutaki, are at different stages of transformation. We have also commenced efforts to look at change to our transport sector. We continue to build our resilience to the impacts of climate change through adaptation in agriculture, coastal protection and restoration, addressing water security, enhancing disaster risk management, improving waste management, climate-proofing infrastructure, planning for integrated food management, better linking health and climate change. We've taken a step further and in 2017 legally designated our entire EEZ of nearly 2 million square kilometers as a marine managed area, which we call Marae Moana. Translated into your language, Marae Moana literally means sacred ocean. I believe we are the first and the only country in the world to have taken this significant step. And at this point, I wish to acknowledge the architect of that vision, Kevin Iro. Please stand, Kevin. You can ask Kevin questions later on that he himself is personally most qualified to answer. But I'm so pleased and honored that he is here with me and with us tonight. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're not strangers to allocating large areas of marine conservation. In fact, I believe we were the first country in the world to declare our whole EZ as a whale sanctuary. 
I recall in 2011, I visited San Francisco to welcome our traditional voyaging canoe, who had joined other canoes from the Pacific Islands that sailed across the Pacific from New Zealand through Hawaii to raise awareness on ocean pollution and to support the campaign to save our ocean. I was given a traditional chant by an orator from Rarotonga to recite at this occasion. And with your indulgence, I want to share this with you tonight. I'll say a line in our native tongue and then I'll tra- translate it into yours. It goes like this. Te evane te moana. The ocean is mourning. Te paaruane tote inua. The actions of those of the land are careless. Tiria iatu kite moana. Their careless ways are flung into the ocean. Vai o kena iaku imitua noo. O you of the land, let me the ocean be, so that I may always nurture you. The voices of our ancestors call. Te torima te nui. The ocean is in your hands. Te wairanga o te iwi Māori. The storage of all your riches. To o ia korona. This is your crowning glory. Te urungo to ora manawa. The resting place for your soul. Kia rangaranga tu tuki Māori ki moa for generations to come. I share this chant with you tonight, not only because it reminds me of the last time I was just across the road in San Francisco eight years ago, but more so because it captures the depth of the meaning of what Mariah Moana means to my people. The main objective of Mariah Moana Act 2017 is to predict and conserve the ecological biodiversity and heritage values of the Cook Islands marine environment. Its additional purposes is to recognize and reinforce the interconnection between land and ocean and the need for integrated decision-making and management. It identifies the principles underpinning the ecological sustainable use and balance required in maintaining the intent of the legislation. Principles of protection, conservation, and restoration. Principles of sustainable use to maximize benefits, the precautionary principle. Principle of community participation. Principle of transparency and accountability. Principle of integrated management. Principle of investigation and research. Principle of ecosystem-based management. Principle of sustainable financing. Governance and implementation arrangements are also captured within the Act. The Marae Moana Act designates 50 nautical miles of no commercial activities, including fishing or mining around each island, and the use of spatial planning to designate further zones. Passing this legislation followed five years of community consultation and awareness building in order to gain the entire country's buy-in, and we managed to secure that. But you know, the best part for me was the smooth passage of the bill through Parliament, 
without a single voice in opposition. Legislating marijuana was a necessity because it is the overarching framework to ensure intergenerational and intragenerational equity and access to our natural resources. With our large EEZ, fisheries are a steady stream of revenue, particularly from the migratory tuna stocks which we share with our Pacific neighbours. This fishery contributes up to 10% of government's total revenue. However, in keeping true to the principles of Maraimona, we carefully monitor fishing activities in our waters and the way in which we license to ensure sustainability of the resources. This allows us to carefully control the level and type of fishing that takes place in our waters. Within the Pacific Islands, I can truly say that we are now leaders in a tuna quota system. The Cook Islands are also the, large, the world's largest supplier of albacore tuna, caught under strict conditions established by the Marine Stewardship Council, which is the industry gold standard for eco-accreditation. Interestingly, ladies and gentlemen, my country has on its ocean floor perhaps the world's largest deposits of seabed minerals. Sitting on our seafloor are billions of tons of golf-sized nodules that are rich in concentrations of cobalt. Cobalt, as you all know, is extremely valuable now because it is an essential element for the batteries found in our smartphones, laptops, electric cars, and renewable energy battery storage. And the world demand for cobalt is now rising. But sadly, as of now, the majority of cobalt is being met now by mines in Central Africa with appalling child labor and environmental standards. Given that seabed mining is a frontier activity with many unknowns, Maraimon, I believe, provides a framework to ensure that any future mining activity must be conducted with the least environmental implications possible. Otherwise, I can assure you that the Maraimona Act will not allow any such activity to go ahead. Processes and institutional arrangements for any harvesting of seabed minerals in the Cook Islands must be aligned to and measured against the principles espoused by the Maraimona Act. Remember, these principles are not policies. They are law. In fact, I can go further and tell you that the Maraimona Act is second only in precedence to our Constitution. Where any other legislation conflicts with Maraimona Act, the Maraimona Act will prevail. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program. Undoubtedly, 
Our future is where we are able to build on the potential inherent in the interrelationship between our islands and the ocean. To promote our sustainable development through our own initiatives, as well as by attracting global investment, interest, and genuine partnerships of collaboration. My call for our identity as a large ocean island state is not a new one, but is now needed more than ever. I draw heavily on the writings and stories of many Pacific writers, most notably Epeli Hawafa, a Tongan, who was a truly oceanic soul who had this to say, quote, Just as the sea is an open and ever-flowing reality, so should our oceanic identity transcend all forms of insularity to become one that is opening, searching, inventive, and welcoming. In a metaphorical sense, that ocean has been our waterway to each other and to the rest of the world. Our most important role should be that of custodians of the ocean. And as such, we must reach out to similar people elsewhere in the common task of protecting the seas for the general welfare of all living things. Close quotes. Epeli correctly noted that our role in the protection and development of our ocean is no mean task. It is a major contribution to the well-being of humanity. For the Cook Islands, balancing our identity from a small island developing state to a large ocean island state will be the key to realizing how we manage our share of ocean. And Marae Moana is our instrument to do this. In doing this, we will not lose, I believe, the special island character fostered with our fellow SIDS, but augment and supplement it in a balanced and sound worldview of the ocean and our islands. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, uh, Your Excellency. Uh, I am Dwayne Silverstein, the Executive Director of Seacology, a nonprofit organization whose sole focus is preserving the environments and cultures of islands throughout the world. We have 320 projects in 61 countries, including six in the Cook Islands, so I'm particularly honored to be sharing the stage with you. We have so many good questions. Let's begin right away. And I wanted to start with trying to give the audience more of a sense of what it's like to live in the Cook Islands. And your constituency, Mr. Prime Minister, is the little atoll called Manahiki in the northern chain. It is referred to sometimes as uh, one of the most isolated islands in the Pacific, has a population of less than 300 people. What is it like to live on an island like that? I wish I was back there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so isolated that uh, a plane flies there, sometimes fortnightly, sometimes never at all. (laughs) But if you were lucky enough to catch a flight... It costs $3,000 return, New Zealand dollars. You know, it's never easy to get to paradise, is it? (laughs) 
But it's a wonderful, isolated uh, place. And I wish I was luckier, you know, to be there and to go back there more often than I've been managing uh, Duane. Okay. And, of course, you have to spend most of your time as prime minister on Rarotonga, which is the main island of, uh, of the Cook Islands with maybe 8,000 people there. And when I, I met you in your office a few months ago, I was a little surprised to see you drive yourself up in a car and just park near the office. No chauffeur, no secret service, no bomb sniff, sniff, sniffing dogs, no guns or whatever. So... I take it that you just blend in and then you go to the stores and, and uh, you know, without an escort and all that. When you do that, do your constituents lobby you on different legislation or they just let you buy your bologna and whatever else you want to get? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the advantages of living in the Cook Islands. It's very peaceful. Uh, my critics, my enemies uh, only attack me with their words. But uh, you're absolutely safe. And sometimes, you know, we leave our, our cars unlocked. And so that's how safe it is. Okay, great. And speaking of the difference in safety, uh, I believe you have an interesting story of when then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton visited uh, Rorotonga and the requirements and uh, hassles from the U.S. State Department, if you would consider sharing that story with us. Yes, the first thing I want to say about Hillary is that you guys would have been very proud of her. She was very humble and very engaging. But uh, before she arrived, uh, we had the State Department security people come, and of course they were just doing their job. They wanted to bring their machine guns, their pistols, their whatever. But, you know, we had a policy of no guns in our country. And... My officials came running to me one day and they said, look, we've just had a meeting with the security people and they're saying that if they can't bring their machine guns in, Hillary won't come. I said, well, you tell them, you know. Then they have to explain to the rest of the world because by then everybody knew Hillary was coming, why she's not coming. And uh, in the end they backed down. But the really funny thing was uh, the night Hillary arrived, she came through Tahiti, and um, she got out at the top of the stairs, and school kids were lined up on the uh, tarmac to welcome her, with singing and dancing. When she got out and she saw the kids, her face just lit up. And she walked down, ignored the security people, and she went in among the kids, you know, holding them, cuddling them. And they all responded. And the security people were lost. <laughs> you know, didn't know what to do. We told them, look, just leave. Leave her be. But instead of being there as planned originally for two days, Hillary actually stayed for four days. And uh, it was, by the way, the only time that a U.S. Secretary of State had graced the Pacific Leaders Forum. It was unfortunate because the following year, uh, the Marshall Islands hosted the forum one of the U.S. trust territories in the Western Pacific. And they were expecting the, the Secretary of State to come. But instead we were graced, or they were graced, by a fourth-ranked official from the State Department. Didn't go down well with my colleague from the Marshall <laughs> Islands. But that's something I'll always be proud of, 
that your Secretary of State graced the Cook Islands with her presence. Great. You had mentioned uh, your commitment to uh, to wean the Cook Islands off of uh, fossil fuels, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and you said that incredibly 14 of the 16 islands are now reliant on solar, etc. What do you think are the main challenges you face to get the the last two islands, which have the bigger populations, to get them to convert to solar energy and the like? Yeah, in 2011, when we formulated our policies for uh, for solar or transformation of our energy source, we set out policy targets of 50% conversion by 2015 and 100 by this year. We achieved our 50% target ahead of schedule. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to achieve our 100% target only because of technology. We don't have the technology for energy storage. That is the only reason we are constrained from achieving our target. But, you know, we have been in discussions with Tesla and with other people with, uh, you know, with options for achieving that. Great. Um, Given the concern I think everybody in this room and in our listening audience likely shares about global warming and the ensuing uh, rise of sea levels, do you have contingency plans to... Well, what are your contingency plans for the northern islands, which are atolls, which have probably the highest spot is maybe 10 feet above sea level? So how are you planning to deal with that? Are you worried about it or, or not? You're very generous. Um, <laughs> they're not exactly 10 feet above sea level. In fact, they'll only be about four or five feet above sea level. That's how vulnerable these islands are. And yes, it is a concern that, uh, you know, the seas are slowly creeping and uh, where land used to be. And uh, I remember when I first went to Maniki. By the way, I was there for 15 years uh, making a living out of the ocean, farming black pearls. It is the only island where black pearls grow naturally in the Cook Islands. And I loved it. I did it because I wanted to be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. So did my wife. <laughs> and just when things were really lined up, you know, to get us to that mark, I, uh, I won the elections and I was drafted in to be the prime minister. So in many ways, being prime minister, Duane, is, uh, is a real sacrifice. <laughs> it, it, but in, in what ways? Do you want to embellish well, that a little? Being a politician is not a way to being a millionaire, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, but no, you know, it's been made up uh, in more ways than one, you know, by the many achievements we've uh, made for the country. Solar is, uh, the solar idea was born when I was uh, farming black pearls because that island was graced by the sun, you know, many hours per day. And the sun is always shining year-round. And I thought, no, while we were on diesel, it cost us up to 94 cents a unit of power from diesel generators. So it was very prohibitive. And so I started to look around. There must be a better way and a cheaper way. And did some research on solar. Hey, presto, that was our answer. But I was also fortunate to, be, uh, to have the support of a very good team in government.
because, you know, I could not have achieved any of this on my own. Having a very good supportive team, you know, with the same objectives, the same dreams, same visions, made it possible for us to be aware. What we really set out to achieve was, uh, instead of complaining about climate change and how our small coral atoll islands are being swallowed up by the sea, I thought, no, we've got to take a different tack. You know, instead of just complaining, we must do the very things that we're asking the rest of the world to do, i.e. converting our energy source to natural sources. That's why we did it. But my critics said, hey, it's going to cost millions. Where are you going to get the money from? You know, I found in my experience as a politician and as prime minister that money is not an, not an issue when it comes to doing something that other people also believe in. People are willing to help, and we've had help all along the way. Great. Getting back a, a little to uh, rising seas or whatever, are you noticing, or those from the northern uh, atoll chain, are they noticing greater storm surge washing over their islands, or, or not yet? Yes, we had a very bad experience on my home island of Manihiki back in 1997. 1st of November, I had just finished uh, seeding our farm for the first time, and we were struck by a very severe cyclone, Cyclone Martin. Basically, it just came out of the blue from nowhere, and it just swamped the whole island and took away 19 of our people never recovered. So that's how bad it was. Wow. And, you know, we're still vulnerable to those sort of uh, sea surges. You had mentioned that somewhat incredibly, at least incredibly in the, in the modern politics of this country, that the Murray Moana law was passed unanimously by Parliament. And I think you're being a little uh, modest, not giving yourself enough, enough credit, because I'm sure there were great challenges because it took many years to do so. What were some of the challenges you faced in order to get this uh, law passed? When my cabinet endorsed the idea of Mariah Moana after Kevin's presentation, uh, the challenge was taking it to the rest of the country. We realized that if we were to take it ourselves, people, some people might think, you know, we're politicizing the issue or we're putting a political slant on it. So we recruited our traditional chiefs, and they command a lot of respect in the communities. We explained to them what Marae was all about, and they quickly endorsed it and accepted it. So they agreed that they will take it out to the communities, the whole communities, all 15 islands, and Kevin went along with them. And uh, originally we had only intended to declare half of our ease at the southern half, as a marine protected area. But when they came back from their national consultations, our northern group islands had a petition for the prime minister, petitioning that they wanted to be part of the marine park. So we had no choice. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, I had an ulterior motive for just looking at the southern half of our easy, because our nodules are concentrated on the basin of our northern But when our people came up with the petition, yeah, we gave in to that. We thought it was a brilliant idea. 
And we changed the focus, you know, from no tech to sustainable management. And that is why we have all these various principles in our Maraimona Act. You know, to tie our hands to ensure that there's no mad rush to exploit, but that we can only do so if we measure up to the very high standards set by Maraimona. And what is the process to uh, evaluate the impact, potential impact of seabed mining? Is there going to be some research taking place? or? Yeah, already there's some exploration that's taking place, and research is now starting. But we will be, you know, calling on uh, people like yourself, Duane, and other professionals in the environment uh, sector, you know, to help us uh, do the research properly to ensure that we comply with Maraimona Act. Okay. Now, uh, the combined, as you alluded to in your, in your excellent speech, the combined landmass of the Cook Islands, to put it in terms that we may understand here in the United States, is about the size of Rhode Island, and yet the entire exclusive economic zone, which is now part of Marae Moana, is the size of Mexico. So, so given that... Uh, and given the fact that right now the Cook Islands has one patrol boat, uh, how are you going to patrol Mexico with one boat? No, I mean, how, how are you going to enforce the provision? I was hoping you, you'd make an offer to help. <laughs> no, uh, this is where we'll have to rely on technology. Already we have a pretty sophisticated surveillance, maritime surveillance system. And also there's a regional one. Uh, in the Solomon Islands. That covers the whole Pacific region. But this is for our fisheries. However, New Zealand has a technology, you know, to track any vessel that, uh, you know, is in our EEZ. The limitation with the current system now is that a vessel has to activate the transponder that it carries. And if it decides to play silly games, you know, they can turn it off. Of course, that immediately gives off an alarm. But some boats do that even now with fisheries. But the New Zealand system, you know, allows um, allows them to pick out any vessel that is in your zone. And uh, it's a system that we are in discussions with New Zealand. Great to see if it can be extended to the Cook Islands under the Pacific Reset Program I mentioned in my speech. And what do you anticipate the impact of Marae, uh, of Marae Moana on the Cook Islands economy? A net loss, that you're taking a sacrifice, or perhaps a net gain? On the contrary, uh, Duane. As I said in my speech, and I firmly believe that to be true, Marae Moana gives us an ocean of opportunities. And one of the opportunities we're looking at is, uh, you know, um, branding our fish that's caught within our marae branding our tuna, using the natural, uh, yeah, natural currency standard, i.e. we want to build it into a brand that is the gold standard, you know, for, uh, for fish. And uh, we're in discussions with some of the major retailers here in the States, and they're very keen on the idea. So that is one. But already we're implementing those principles with our fisheries. You know, when I came into office in 2010, anybody could pay a license fee of $15,000, 
and take as much fish as they can per year from our waters. So our waters were being pillaged and um, and we were getting just over a million dollars per annum. Totally ridiculous. Under Ben, uh, Ben Pony and my current chief of staff, stand up Ben. I pinched him from uh, fisheries ministry. Oh, by the way, he was one of the very staunch opponents of Marae Moana <laughs> when he was with fisheries. And now he's in charge of Marae Moana with Kevin. By the way, Kevin, uh, just a couple of months ago, was formally appointed by my government as Marae Moana ambassador. And it's an appointment that I'm very proud of and I think very fitting in telling the story of Marae Moana. Great. But in our fisheries, you know, now for less fish, we're actually getting over $20 million a year. So Marae Moana is an ocean of opportunities. We just need to learn what those opportunities are and seize them. San Francisco and the Bay Area is very proud to be the home of so many terrific conservation organizations, one of which is the Goldman Environmental Prize. And as you know very well, a 2019 winner, Jackie Evans, was, is from the Cook Islands, and her contract wasn't renewed a few months later. Do you care to comment on, on why? Yeah, I was proud of uh, the Goldman's Award, you know, in recognition of Marae Moana. However, you know, the credit went to the wrong person. This is the guy whose vision it was, Marae Moana. And I'm pleased that, you know, over the last couple of days we've been able to correct that impression, including at the Goldman School of Public Policy <laughs> at Berkeley. But, yes... Um, but Jackie was involved, but not as, as a leader in this initiative. She was uh, originally associated with one of our NGOs, one of our environment NGOs, conservation NGOs. And then she became coordinator of Marae when we first set it up. But it was never her idea or her initiative that Marae should come about. This is the guy. However, I'm proud that, you know, the award went to the Cook Islands. And that's how really I would have preferred it. You know, that it was a national effort. It was a community effort. I take my hat off to our traditional leaders, but I also take my hat off to my team in government. Because without their support, as you know, in politics, without the support of the politicians, nothing moves. But because I had a good team and they all bought into the idea, we now are where we are. Do you think Marae Moana is going to affect uh, tourism? Do you think it's going to be oh, come to this green and, and clean place is going to actually bring more tourists? Marae Moana is an integral and very important part of our tourism product. You know, it demonstrates to everybody, including our visitors, that we're not just serious about making our lands, our yards, our homes clean and tidy, but also our ocean. And, uh, you know, we want them to enjoy that as well. 
Okay, so now moving to questions from the audience, of which there are, are so many good ones, we're not going to be able to ask them all, but what challenges and opportunities face the youth, uh, the youth population of the Cook Islands, and how, how might they become more engaged in civic and political life? Hmm. I tell you what, when uh, Prime Minister Ardern of New Zealand came to the Cook Islands two years ago, and she opened a new uh, education block at our national college, uh, she really made an impression with the young ones. And, and she was encouraging them, you know, to get involved in politics. And they are now actively involved. But one interesting story I must tell you, the name Mariah Mona came from our young people. Mm. Yeah, because we teach them about the environment. We take them to the beaches and show them the marine environment, and they are getting more and more involved. In fact, a lot of marine-based uh, activities now, tourism activities, are owned and run by young people, mm. and that's very encouraging. Are there Peace Corps volunteers in the Cook Islands? You know, we used to have plenty of Peace Corps volunteers up until the 80s. And then you guys just stopped coming. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah. Because now, you know, we've got one overstayer, Peace Corps volunteer overstayer, who's now a Cook Islander. <laughs> but no, we, we loved the, the Peace oh. Corps volunteers. They were very useful. And uh, all of a sudden... You guys stop coming. <laughs> Is uh, the Cook Islands a member of the United Nations? No, we're not, because of our status with New Zealand. But having graduated to a developed country, you know, just seven days ago, the possibilities are there. But we must have, you know, comprehensive uh, discussions with uh, New Zealand. Um, I think it will come, but it will come in due time. Can you discuss in detail your perspective on climate change and how it's impacting uh, the Cook Islands now? Yeah, climate change. Well, we've been very fortunate the past 10 years since I became prime minister that we haven't had any uh, cyclone visitors uh, in fact, it's, uh, you know, hit many of our Pacific neighbors, Fiji, Vanuatu, Tonga, poor Tonga gets battered nearly every year. But somehow we've escaped them. Um, I have to tell you, we have a tradition in the Cook Islands because our hurricane season is from November through to March. Every November, the first week in November, as Christians, we get together, the whole country, and we pray for divine guidance and protection. And then at the end of the hurricane season, first Sunday in April, we again come together and we give thanks to the Almighty for his protection. And I believe that that tradition, you know, is standing us in very good stead. But that is the only challenge that I have concerns about with our graduation. That is something we can't control. And yet, if it hits us, God willing, we don't get hit, then, you know, we'll have a hell of a job recovering from that. 
Are there any plans for future non-stop, not stop, non-stop flights from the USA? <laughs> Is that from any Zealand? <laughs> yeah, currently we only have one flight from LA to the Cook Islands, one flight a week. I think it leaves LA on Saturday nights. But that's a flight that my government has been underwriting uh, for the past 10 years. Because immediately after I was sworn in as Prime Minister, New Zealand gave us an ultimatum in writing. Either we underwrite the service or they were going to pull out. It was just not commercial for them. Oh, my God, I hadn't even sworn in my cabinet. I didn't have a proper government. But I got the team together. We called our finance officials together, gave them a weekend to come up with an answer as to whether we should agree or not. They looked at the economic benefits of the LA service as well as the Sydney service. So we're underwriting two services. Their clear answer when they came back on Monday morning was, Prime Minister, we can't afford to lose these services. Mm-hmm. You know, the economic benefits are too great. So we bit the bullet. And wrote back to New Zealand and says, yes, okay, we're going to underwrite it. At the time, it cost 15% of our national budget. It was huge. But we took the, you know, we bit the bullet. And our, our tourism has been booming because of that. Because of that. A lot of the European tourists come through L.A. to get to the Cook Islands and then out to New Zealand and Australia. And, of course, as I said earlier on, you know, your travelers, your luxury travelers, uh, think uh, we're paradise. And uh, But that is a situation that still exists today. We still underwrite those services. And so um, if we can generate more, uh, better volume of visitors from here, then perhaps... Air New Zealand might look at, uh, you know, making it a commercial service. But that is very much in the hands of Air New Zealand sure. at the moment. Okay, and, and the next two questions, I think, uh, purportedly from the audience, but I think they were planted by the Cook Islands Tourism Bureau. <laughs> what are the best months to visit the islands? Yeah, having just spoken about cyclones, well, please don't come during the cyclone months. But if you want, which are what months? Yeah, from November through to March. But if you want adventure, tropical adventure, do come. <laughs> the best months will be personally from June to November. It's very temperate, and the temperatures are moderate. Okay. And the next uh, tourism question: uh, Why should people in the audience visit the Cook Islands? <laughs> You mean you, you don't believe all the wonderful stories I've told you tonight? I've been there nine times, so you got me. But. There you are. Tell him why you went there. <laughs> I'll, 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 before saying why I went there, I would say if you want to go to a place with big high-rise Hilton chain hotels, don't go to the Cook Islands. If you want to go to a place with casinos open at 3 a.m., don't go to the Cook Islands. If you want to meet some of the world's friendliest people in some of the world's most beautiful environments and enjoy snorkeling and hiking and all that, 
do go to the Cook Islands. That's how I'd sum it up. How much is that going to cost me? Oh, it's going to cost you a lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, a quick one. Are you named after Sir Albert Henry? That's a kind of Cook Islands in, in question here. Well, I, I keep telling my friends that I'm named after, after the uh, royal family in England. <laughs> no, no, see, Albert and I are related, but no, I actually got my name from my grandfather, my maternal grandfather. Yeah, and we only have time for one question, and it's, it's an interesting question from the audience. Uh, right now, there's some controversy over a law in the Cook Islands that might uh, limit or discriminate uh, uh, against the rights of gay people. Uh, what's your position about that? Listen, you know, we don't discriminate against gay people. In fact, Many families have gay members, uh, you know, in the family, and we love them. You know, these are archaic laws from uh, the olden days when Christianity was very, very strong. And um, they're still there, but, you know, the older people still hold on to that. So it's a very delicate subject, but we have a select committee that is now looking at the changes that we need to make in order to accommodate, you know, the current trends. And um, so please come over, you know. Just be yourself when you come to the Cook Islands. Just don't walk around the main street uh, in your uh, bikini. (laughs) By all means on the beaches, but that's the only uh, restraint that we would ask. Okay. Well, our thanks to His Excellency Henry Puna of the Cook Islands. We also thank everyone here, as well as our audience on radio, television, and the Internet, a special maitake ma'ata to those from the Cook Islands who are listening. I'm Duane Silverstein, and now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club and the World Affairs of Northern California is adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you.